Welcome back to Drip, a DC Coffee podcast. I'm your host, Austin Brower. What a ride it's been so far. I set out to do 12 episodes, and here we are at the 12th. The DMV coffee scene really continues to impress me with its drive for excellence, interest in fostering community, and its almost insatiable desire and thirst for entrepreneurial ventures. As of now, it's full steam ahead, and you may even see a few new initiatives in the coming months. Anyways, enough of that. This episode is a conversation with Michael Amori, the founder and owner of Cafe Amori. Michael started Cafe Amori in 2010. His motto is quality, community, sustainability. Along with those attributes, we discussed running a small business and keeping to your priorities. With that, you know what's next. Sit back, grab your cup of coffee, and enjoy the episode. So what really got you into coffee? And what was your journey to opening Cafe Amor? And- it was basically, you know, the devil internet. Oh. One day I was, let's see, it was now, we've been open almost eight years. It was about 10 years before. So we're talking 16 to 18 years ago. I was online, you know, probably with dial-up modem. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I saw an article on home roasting. And I thought, that sounds pretty cool. And I went out and I bought a hot air popcorn popper for two bucks at like a thrift store. One of the ones that you now, one of the ones that, on the side. And- that has the hot air that blows up. It's okay. like a cylindrical shape. Yeah. And you could put Spits butter in out. top and it would, you know, if you wanted to. And I bought it and I went online and I found a place that sold green beans, bought them, roasted at home. And you could roast like a third of a cup at a time. A third of a cup yeah. at a time. Yeah. Because the beans sort of bounce inside it. And I tasted it and was like, oh my God, this is like really good tasting coffee. So I got into it. So I started buying more beans online. I kept using the hot air popcorn popper. And then one day I bought a home roaster online, which is a cool, this really cute little drum roaster. And one year at Christmas time, I saw so I was roast up for friends and family and stuff for gifts. And one year I was behind and I ran it for so many hours straight, I melted the back end of it. I mean, literally it just sort of melted. Okay. So then I, I read again and I found out another mod that I could do with a stir crazy popcorn popper mm-hmm. and a convection oven that you put on top. Now in this thing, I was able to do three quarters of a pound, which is still better than most home roasts you could buy. Mm-hmm. It had a variable control on the top. And so I was actually able to start profile roasting, you know, controlling the temperature, thinking time and temperature continuum mm-hmm. and really at least to me, up to my game in the roasting area. Yeah. I must have done, shit, I must have done 500 pounds or 600 pounds on that, a three quarters of a pound at a time. Over what time span? Over four years, four years, maybe Still five years. Yeah. In all that time, you know, I always thought, and this goes back to college, you know, how many people sit around going, you know, dude, I'd love to open a coffee shop. Yeah. Everybody wants to open a coffee shop. It's a cool thing. You know, you envision sitting around and sipping espresso and solving the problems of the world and talking heady things. At the same time, it was, it was funny. I was also, so then I got married, I got a job, you know, but I always sort of had it in the back of my mind that it was something that I wanted to do. And I coach girls basketball, you know, have for 22 years, high school now for the last 18 years. And did a business plan. I was a business school graduate, so I did a very extensive business plan. I mean, would sit out and count cars. I have industry analysis it's, it's in it. Quantitative did, data. All of that. 
you told me 50 pages business. It was, it's about 50 pages. Okay. Yeah. If you include all the financials, I did the financials out for six years with graphs and charts. So I was ready to go and I wanted to do it in Vienna because I've lived here for years. You know, I like the community. I felt there was a community that would support it and multiple places came up, multiple locations. I run over to the guy who was head of the zoning office and say, what about this place? Well, you know, we can't zone it. Don't have enough parking. And I had actually signed a lease, or not signed a lease, but signed a letter of intent for another location one time. And at the 11th hour, pulled the plug on it because huh. they made one little change to it. And I'd always told myself, I've seen enough people go into a business and you get pumped, you know, it's like, and you can let your excitement override reason. I'd always told myself that if I ever reran the numbers, there was a safety point in my numbers that at that point, I was pretty sure it would succeed. At any point lower than that, it still might succeed, but it was getting riskier. Mm-hmm. So something changed as I was looking at the location. I had an architect engaged and all. Something changed. I went back. I re-ran the numbers. It just wasn't quite at that level. And I went to a very good friend of mine who's a CPA. I said, take a look at these. They looked at them. They said they look solid. And I pulled the plug on it. Huh. At the Literally, I'd already spent money on an architect and all, doing drawings. And I said, no, it's just it's not the right place. So it wasn't two years later that this spot opened up. And where are we now? We're at Cafe Amori on Church Street in Vienna, Virginia. You know, it's two blocks off the bike path, the WNOD bike path, which at one time might still be the longest continuous bike path in the country. Hmm. We're on Church Street, which is really developing as a historic walking district and part of Vienna. And it just felt right. Then this was the hardest part because now after all this time of saying I was going to do it, years and years and years of saying I was going to do it, it's sort of like, okay, you're going to shoot or get off the pot. You know? And... I had a great job in TV that I loved. I've been doing it for 27 years. I was well-respected there. I was at Discovery, had a 401k. I had vacation, made good money. And I was going to chuck it all during the worst recession of a generation. And was I going to do that? And really, the factors that factored into it were threefold. One was I'd been coaching girls basketball. And part of my philosophy in coaching girls basketball, especially girls, you want to empower them and you want to tell them that don't ever let somebody tell you, if you say you're going to do something, then do it. And I really honestly felt that if I woke up in the morning and looked in the mirror after all these years of telling them that and espousing that and now said that I wasn't going to do this, was I sort of being hypocritical? Mm -hmm. The second was that my mom had just passed away the year before and I had looked at her life and she touched a lot of people in her life. And you start thinking about what do you leave? You know, how do you live your life in what you leave? And the third was I had recently started to go back to church and sort of just, and I won't sit here and I'm not going to go into a whole religious thing. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was something where church was then people reaching out and helping people. And I saw people going on mission trips and all this stuff. And I was walking with this friend of mine down the street when I really had to make my decision. And I said, you know, if I open this coffee shop, it can actually be sort of my mission. I can use a brick and mortar place to do good. And if we don't make it financially, at least within the period that we're open, maybe we can do some good for the community and for others. Mm -hmm. And that was really the tipping point. And I decided to go ahead and do it. 2010. 2010. Yes. It was tough at first. Oh, I bet. Um, what were some of those barriers? I think the biggest barrier is, especially in any small business, it's getting the word out that you're even there, you know? I think the two most important things are setting your priorities. Like, what is your priority? If your priority is just to make money, I would recommend to anybody, don't go into a small business, period. 
you know, because I'm not going to walk out of here a rich man. My private jet is probably a few years away. So I think the most important thing for me, at least, well, the, the challenges, just getting the word out that you're there and maintaining what your focus is. I remember we'd been open like three months. I had a, a manager and there's nobody walking in the door. And every 20 minutes, we'd go and look at the register to look at sales. And we'd say, yep, that's another $2.25 in the last three hours. Wow. I remember telling her, and this goes back again to my basketball. I don't know if you're familiar. You're a young guy with John Wooden, who was the coach of UCLA men's basketball team in the 70s and 80s. Probably the most successful basketball coach in history. He's written a ton of management books. His philosophies are really translatable to life. And one of the things that I would coach in basketball to the girls is, if you step on a court and do all the things that you've trained to do properly, then that's your success. Don't ever look at the scoreboard. The score will take care of itself if you do those things that you set down as your priorities. And I tried to bring that into the business. So what I told my manager at that time was, okay, we can no longer look at sales because every time we look at sales, we're diverting our priorities. Our priorities should be, we should be at the espresso machine perfecting our shots or we should be thinking of ways to reach into the community. Mm. You know, you only have limited resources. So from that day on, we could not look at sales until the end of the day. And to this day, I'll go four or five days and not look what our sales are. But I will talk to the staff about have they calibrated the espresso machine multiple times that day. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that the big challenge was staying within your priorities and not getting so caught up in that daily sales. If we did that, if we didn't make it at the end of a year, and I told her this, if we didn't make it at the end of the year, but we could look back over that year and say, but we did a fundraiser for leukemia research, which we did, or we donated coffee to a kid's group, which we did, and we closed our doors at the end of the year because we couldn't make it financially, then there were other factors at play. And we'll say that we were a success because we did those things. Let's yeah. count what we're trying to do and keep that as our priority. That was the biggest challenge. Huh. So you mentioned getting people in the door and staying within your priorities, but getting people in the door... I walked in an extremely full shop. It was hard for us to find a seat. Yeah. You're a you're a celebrity here, so yeah, I don't know about that. But it's, seat. yeah. But what turned that tide of getting the word out and getting people in the door? It's maintaining a long term focus, you know. And again, the mission statement for the place that's in the business plan is quality, community, and sustainability. And it's maintaining that. And then little by little, look, you can put out coupons. I could put out a dollar off coupon and get a ton of people in the door. But if I haven't put my focus on quality, community, and sustainability as my benchmark, as my base, as my foundation, look, I'm the first one that will go a place if I got a coupon. I might never go back, but I'm going to go get a good deal, mm-hmm. you know? So I think what turned the tide is maintaining that focus and maintaining what your priorities are. And little by little, like I said, it's a long-term approach. You got to be able to hang in there for a year. I mean, it was 18 months before we went got into the black. Mm-hmm. But once it happens, then it's word of mouth. Then, you know, you get written up as the best coffee house in Northern Virginia. And you get this award. You get, And little by little, you get start getting that recognition. And people start talking to people. And it just grows like that, you know. It's a reputation. That's a fun journey. Just starting out doing home roasting and yeah. roaster to recognizing this is something you're passionate about. And and what did pull you into it, though? Was it the passion for coffee or the passion for community? Or- you know, it's funny. When people say the term passion, I don't even know if it's so much passion as it is fun. 
You know what I mean? Like I, I made a decision a long time ago. I'm a little bit older than you. You can't see us there, but you know, I'm, slightly. I got, I got a, quite a few years on you. You can hear the wisdom in um, and only curiosity. In <laughs> and I made a decision years ago. I don't really want to do anything in my life if it isn't fun. There's plenty of ways to make money. And if I wanted to find a way to make money, I probably could do that. I've known people that have gone down that path and they made a lot of money. I never really wanted to do that. I mean, when I finally made the decision, I want to do something where I'm going to have fun. And in coffee, it was fun because there's always more to learn. And I like that learning aspect of it. You know, we, I just got, and we were talking earlier, mm-hmm. Q grader cert. Okay. Mm-hmm. And do you mind, what is Q grading? Oh, Q grading is SCA and the Coffee Quality Institute. Mm-hmm. Okay. Q grader is a certified, especially coffee, coffee association and CQI Coffee Quality Institute. Mm-hmm. It's actually administered by CQI. Hmm. I liken it to almost a PhD in coffee where you go and you take this really intense classes and there are things like having to have different coffees and tell what region they're from or to pick out a one bean defect out of 72 cups and say what that defect is to be able to identify one of 36 different smells you might smell in coffee. It's sensory analysis. It's green bean analysis. Really, the value of Q grading is not so much. Now, we use it certainly for our purchasing, mm-hmm. but it's being able to communicate back through the supply chain, which is something that we're getting more and more involved in is understanding and an increasing respect for the supply chain. So if we get a coffee and there's a problem with it, so you analyze a 350-gram sample, and that's considered a representative sampling of that lot. You analyze it green first, and you're looking for bean defects, of which there are, I think, 15 possible defects. Mm-hmm. Such as? Such as insect damage, or what they call a black, which is over-fermented, or a sour, which has to do with how the bean is picked, mm-hmm. whether it's mm-hmm. um, a floater, which is they pick green beans. There's many different defects. And a coffee can be rejected as specialty coffee grade for those defects. But more importantly, you can communicate back to the supply chain. And we had an instance where we were working with a producer from Colombia, wonderful person. She was representing a number of farms there. We were buying coffee from her. We got one bag that had some defects in it. This is these people's lives. So you don't just go, we're not going to buy from you anymore. We communicated to her because a lot of times the farm, once they pick the beans, they go to processing. Well, a lot of those defects don't come out of the picking. They come out of the processing. So we were able to communicate back to her who went back to the farm mm-hmm. and say, we found these particular defects, which are defects that probably happened at the processing plant. So then they were very appreciative. you know. So we weren't like pointing fingers at them. We were trying to help them. Yeah. So Q grader can do that. They can also, you know, a farm might come to you and pay you to grade their coffee and give it a score. And when you score it, you're now, basically, that score represents how much dollars they're going to get for that. It's an 84-point coffee or an 86-point coffee. It can be very significant mm-hmm. in what that coffee will pull on the open market. Yeah. So it's really, it's a quality control visually, as well as through sensory analysis, sight, sound, smell, sound from the roasting, smell, um, that you can communicate back through the supply chain all the way back from your broker or back to the farmers on coffee quality. Mm-hmm. And thank you for running through that. Sure. There's people listening from all different levels of coffee. Right. So I just like that. Sure. That. And it ties in nicely. I think you're about to start talking about your staff and the amount of training they have, but also further on in the conversation about some of the education components and the community components you're developing. 
I guess I'll just give it back to you in regards to your staff and Q graders on staff and some other certified people. You know, a lot of this goes back to sort of business training and having been in business for almost 30 years before I opened up a coffee shop. Just believe in training at so many levels. It's good for the shop. Better people are trained. The more they talk to customers, the more they exude a confidence and a knowledge about the product. But it's also good for your staff. You know, the investment in training is an investment in their future. And that might sound corny. I know it's probably sound like a weird TV ad or something. But if I can give somebody that gift, you know, to at least explore a career path, it's only going to help me. You know, so if I send them off to get, you know, a level one barista certification from the Specialty Coffee Association, yeah, it costs me some money. But when they come back now, the product, when they hand you a drink and you taste it, and it's the best cappuccino you've ever had, it benefits all of us. We really do commit, do a lot of commitment to training, but not just sort of certification training. Once somebody's hired here, one of the first things they do after they've been here a month is they start doing our employee coffee tastings. And we have one of our trainers or one of our managers. They're on the clock. They'll sit down. They'll do coffee tastings. We won't tell them what it is. We have little books that we got for them to write down flavor notes. And we'll talk about what they're tasting and why those notes are there. And these are people who have been here a month. You know, it's somebody who was an English major in college. And they're going, well, this is sort of cool. But they're curious, you know. And so to us, not only are we just making you stronger as a staff member, we're also introducing you to another world. And it might be a world that you wish to explore. Or it might be a world that you don't wish to explore. You know, we have on staff four certified baristas, two certified roasters, two Q graders, and two certified trainers. And they've all sort of come up through the ranks here. You know, a lot of people say, well, if you train like that, they're going to leave. You know, they might. But if we give them enough continuing opportunities here, then maybe they won't. Mm-hmm. And even if they do what they've brought to the shop in terms of just the overall branding of the shop and the overall sort of who you are mm-hmm. has been valuable you know so really really believe in the training aspects and sometimes you go yeah you know i am spending a lot of money on this but i think it's worth it yeah. ultimately it's definitely worth it on many levels yeah investing in people and coffee exactly like yeah it, and it's part of our mission statement when i talk about sustainability mm-hmm. to me part of that's human sustainability whether it's farmers you know we buy a lot of coffees that are identified as micro lots where the farmer's getting more. We're spending more for that coffee, but the farmer's getting more too. And it's usually a much better coffee. So everybody wins, you know? So sustainability isn't just using corn compostable cold cups. Part of it is human sustainability. Okay, what are you doing to help people in their lives? And I think that's a part of what you do. Yeah, definitely. There seems to be an ability of these, I like to call them passion enterprises. Yeah. You made a nice comment about passion and what does it mean? It, you know, it is fun, but these passion enterprises usually connect people who are more engaged in their networks and their communities and trying to uplift everyone. I think it, yeah, I think you're right. That's exciting. Yes, it absolutely is. And so we've touched a little bit on some quality, some sustainability, and there's another part in your mission statement, community. What do you do to build community in Vienna? And in the coffee. Yeah, you know. Throughout the whole supply chain. Right. One of the things that we do that I'm most proud of, and we're coming into our sixth year, I think, there's something we do called Vienna Idol. Obviously a ripoff from American Idol. What happened was... (laughs) Is there a Simon Cowell? Seven there. There might be. (laughs) Is it you? No. Yeah, I try not to be. We did... um, There was a young lady who was a student at James Madison High School who I coached in basketball who passed away in her freshman year in college from seizures. And I was good friends with her parents. 
and her parents about the most brave people I've ever met. Rather than just sort of lock themselves into a shell, they're very dynamic people. They're great folks. Her name is Kristen Kylo. They started a Kristen Kylo Memorial Fund. And the first year they did a concert on the town green. They called it Kylo Palooza because Kristen loved music and all. And they had a bunch of bands come and play to raise money for this Kristen Kylo Memorial Fund. Next year, I was talking to Tom and I said, you know, let's do a competition. We'll call Vienna Idol and we'll raise money and then I can go in the Memorial Fund. Long story short, over the years, we've now raised, I think we're over $80,000. What that money goes to is the first thing they do is they give the money to one to three scholarships to a James Madison High School student. They have to write an essay and it's called the Dream Big Scholarship. And these are all kids who have big dreams but have obstacles in their way. Like some of these kids might never have been able to go to college because they're from a single parent family or they have other obstacles that are in their way to going to college. They give money for scholarships for that. Two years ago, we started giving seizure monitors, which are monitors that epileptic seizure sufferers wear that denote when a seizure is hitting and will automatically contact emergency personnel or family. That's huge. And they're fairly expensive. And we give those to people who can't afford them. And we got a letter back the first year we did it, one of the most meaningful things to me from a young lady who said, this freed my life. I was able to go to college and not worry about a seizure literally killing me like it did to Kristen. So we start auditions. It's, It's really cool. We start auditions about the first week of May. We do about 10 weeks of auditions. So a couple more months and then... A couple more months and we're in it, yeah. Sorry, get ready. Um, We do auditions in the shop. We also partner with Whole Foods Vienna. We do auditions in their cafe area. Then we do the semifinals out here in their parking lot during Viva Vienna, which is a huge street fair during Memorial Day weekend. Then we do the finals in a concert on the town green and people vote with tickets that they buy. So... They buy tickets and they put it in buckets for the finalists that they want to win. And then we announce the 2017 Vienna Idol and we give prizes. There's a cash prize. And last year we got a donation of studio recording time for the winners because they were musicians and they really wanted something like that. But like I said, last year we raised, I think, $12,000 through the effort. That's like my real passion project because we're keeping this young lady alive, Kristen Kylo. By doing this every year, she's out there, you know, and we've sort of given her that immortality by having this competition. On a smaller scale, on Wednesday mornings, there's three elementary schools that do walk to school Wednesdays, and we donate big cameras of coffee, and any parent that walks their kid to school that day gets a free cup of coffee outside of one of the three schools. Right after the hurricane hit Houston, we wanted to do something. We just sort of felt like powerless. You know, we wanted to do something. And, you know, you can go to the Red Cross. I mean, we looked and said, let's find a group that we can give more directly to. Well, out front of our shop on a weekend, man, we get, it's like a dog park out there. Everybody walks their dogs up. They're hanging out. So we decided to do a fundraiser for the Houston Dog Rescue. And so we put a bowl of dog biscuits out and told people, take a dog biscuit, leave a buck. And we ended up sending like, Four five hundred dollars down to there. So we're always trying to do stuff like that. I mean, just looking for ways that we can give back something to the community because we're here and we have that ability to reach to people. You know, right upstairs right now, we have a bin for a food drive for CHO, which is a community for helping others as a drop-off point to drop off for food. Mm-hmm. 
couple years in a row, and they've actually told us to stop because we gave too many. We were working with the um, uh, it's a good problem to have. the Lamb Center, which is a day center for homeless people in Fairfax County, and we did a thing where bring in a coat, a winter coat, and get a free cup of coffee. One year we took over seventy coats. The next year we took over a hundred coats. Wow. And some of these coats are pretty nice too. I'll tell you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No kidding. And so, you know, it's, it's we're always sort of looking for things that we can do mm-hmm. because we have the shop and sort of like, why not use it in some way to give back, to do something for yeah. people, you know? So that's just a few of the examples. We've always pretty much got something going on here like that. No, that's really nice. I know before we talked, I was looking at your website and that was one part that was highlighted on it that I, very much enjoyed reading about and it's something that's close to my heart because that's why i'm doing a podcast yeah there you go it's about the community right it is absolutely i i believe that a community is a two-way street so what does the community do for cafe amore and what's that relationship like you know the relationship is great i think one of the things that i'm happiest about and most proud of are the relationships that have built like friendships that have built in mm-hmm. the shop of people who never knew one another. Mm-hmm. There was a couple guys. It was funny. One's a, are they both? They're both Red Sox fans. Okay. But they're older guys and they would come in and eventually they started like, you see them starting to talk to each other, talk to each other. And then they went to a Nats game together. And one of the guys took me aside one day and he said, you know, I got to say thank you because at my age, you don't generally make new friends. But I made a new friend here because of coming into your shop. That's great. And I think that's one of the coolest things is that I see a community building around folks that come in the shop and now they're friends. Yeah. So what do they bring to me? Well, I mean, they walk through my door and they like our product and they like our staff. So that is a great thing. But I think that's what they bring to each other by coming in. You know, you don't get that in a chain place. You know, I'm not going to knock them there. You know, if it wasn't for chain places, none of us independent coffee shops would be here because they're the ones that introduced this concept to the world. Right. So they have a, a great place, but you don't get that feel, you know, and that's sort of what I get out of it is that feel of the people coming in and meeting each other. And for me personally, I've gotten to know so many people just from being here every day. And that's pretty cool. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. That story in particular is yeah, really fun and it's. Being a barista myself, getting to see some of that, or even that relationship, like you're saying, with the community that right. you develop. So, well, here comes Jill again, and yeah. I'm going to give her a heck because that's what she likes with her coffee. Exactly. And you know it, being yeah. a barista. You know, you get to know that guy on the other side of the counter, that woman, that man. You know, you ask them about their kid. They tell you, you know, there's a problem in their life or somebody's ill. You build a, a relationship with them that you otherwise wouldn't have had. Special. Yeah. Special. We were talking earlier, you've been around for seven years, started in 10, and there's some nice expansions or nice opportunities that you have coming up. Do you mind sharing a little bit about what's going to be Sure. You guys should see the huge grin on his face to talk about this. You know, years ago, this concept of a coffee lab, you know, I see myself as a mad scientist. And it's funny because I always consider coffee, the reason that I like it so much is that it's a combination of art and science, and I was never particularly good at either. So putting the two together, sort of like that's my happy place. Well, just signed a lease to open up a place called the Cafe Mori Experience, which is going to be a coffee lab and education center that we want to really make it very accessible at various levels of education. 
Part of it's going to be for our staff because now when we train, they have to, you know, get behind here. And in between customers, we train and we do it in off hours, but we do, you know, our barista training, we train based on the, especially coffee association, level one barista certifications. And that's what they have to pass. Well, now in this lab, we're going to have, you know, espresso machines, we're going to have various brew methods, we're going to have tasting lab, so we can train our staff, we can train our wholesale client staff. We're going to have a broad range of classes for not only consumers, you know, our regular customers who are saying, you know, I really want to do something, but for the professional coffee community as well. We're looking to make it a premier SCA lab, which means that we can do everything up to Q training Mm -hmm. there. But I think the part of that that I'm most excited about is we're going to put together like programs for sort of like, there's a lot of people out there that just want to know more about it. So we're going to put together, not just pluck from the SCA training guide and do those classes. We'll do those because they're very good. But say that you're a guy and you're into coffee, maybe it'll be a three-day, two hours a day training thing. And the first class will sort of be, let's talk about origin and sort of what coffee is. Second class will be, let's talk about how terroir affects the flavor of coffees from various regions. The third class, you're going to pick a coffee, you're going to roast it. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to take it home with you. You know, So I think we can make it very experiential for folks. Mm-hmm. So their training can be at various levels. Yeah. For me... Mm-hmm. So like a kid in a candy store because I can like go out and get a really cool piece of equipment, like a moisture meter, you know, and like play with that in a coffee. Yeah. I've used one. Yeah, I don't I have a moisture meter, a density meter is the next thing I'm looking to get. You know, and we'll do roast training for sample roasting and for production roasting and roaster safety. We'll do barista training, you know, and like we have customers who say, I really want to learn how to do a latte art. Yeah. They have no idea what it means or why. So why not? You know, bring them in. We can teach them how to do that. They'll never use it again, probably. But that's okay. It's an experience. You know, I could do an experience and do a river rafting trip. I might never do it again, but I'll have a blast doing it the first time. You know, so I'm very excited about this. And we're just getting ready to start building it out after the first of the year. And we're also going to move our wholesale roasting operation there because that's been growing just very organically. We haven't even really pushed it. But just word of mouth that's been growing, and we've worked with some coffee shops. We've worked with two now, where they came to us and they said, we're going to open a coffee shop. So we worked with their architect for workflow. We worked with their builders to make sure they had all of the right outlets and plumbing and all that. And sorry to stop you, I assume uh, workflow is the way that the baristas would interact behind the bar. Um, workflow is everything from you know, efficiencies. So it's how an order is taken, mm-hmm. where it goes next, where the brewer is placed, where if you're doing other products, where your blenders are placed. Mm-hmm. So it's to maximize efficiency in the operation. Yeah. And so we have very, very detailed workflows and processes and systems in place. Yeah. So one of the things that we're going to do with this is I have an architect, the architect who's working with me on the lab, who will be our in-house architect. I have a builder who's built out these places. So if somebody comes to me and says, I want to open up a coffee shop, we'll work with you from concept through, and then we'll have opening managers there with you. We did it for these two shops. Both of them were in the black within a year. Are you allowed to say those shops? Yeah, I'm proud to say them. Uh, One is called Ridgetop Coffee in Sterling, Mm -hmm. and the other is Lake Ann Coffee and Wine Bar in uh, Reston. And they're both doing outstanding work. And, you know, but the thing is, They came to us because we connected on a certain level. Mm -hmm. And that level was they wanted to do a really good job. They didn't just want to. Because somebody came to me and said, I want to open a coffee shop because I hear you make a lot of money in it. 
I'd yeah. say, first of all, don't do it. Run away because you won't. You know, we connected with them on a level of they wanted to do a really good job, but in the final analysis, they also have to make some money or they can't stay there. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of fun doing both of those. I really enjoyed that. It goes back to my coaching. It was like, we're going to coach you and then we'll have opening managers there with you. And we had a morning supervisor, one of our top mm -hmm. ones, open a couple mornings to work out efficiencies and all. Yeah. So that's another part of opening this place that I think we're going to be able to do is to offer that sort of service to people. I mean, that's really exciting as you think about growing and being more engaged with the community. Yeah. You're not only serving coffee at your shop, you're educating customers and your baristas at the shop. Right. And then you're also helping build yeah. and foster new coffee communities right. around these areas. And that's fun. To me, I just like that. I mean, if somebody's having trouble in a shop, I'm not saying we can turn you around. We can talk to you. Yeah. If you want to talk about, you know, your focus and how you're going about it, then we can certainly, you know, work with you. Because I... My heart goes out to anybody opening up a small business. Yeah. You know, it really does. Because it's it's hard. Mm -hmm. And if anybody were to come to me and just say, look, can you help me out? Of course. Yeah. You know, I would do that. Unless they're like right across the street from me. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> yeah. There are bounds. Yeah. So you have not only the retail side of the business, you also do wholesale. Right. And I love Cafe More Coffee. Where do I go? to get that same product if I also want to have a dining experience or I know you have food here as well. Yeah. If you want to sit um, down and Basin's restaurant was a okay. very fine five star restaurant right across Church Street serves it. Maple Avenue restaurant on 123 serves it. Mokomandi restaurant, which is just received some awards, I think in Washingtonian, out of Sterling, serves it. Mm -hmm. We're in a place called Faith and Love Cafe down on Upper Fourteenth Street. They do this really cool nitrogen-infused ice cream there. And, and Faith, is she's a wonderful, wonderful person. We're in Portside Coffee House in Leesburg. Um, yes. There's a lot of Yeah, them. so those are all places that we're, um, we're currently okay. in. Some are restaurants, some are coffee shops. We're in Make Offices, which is one of those shared office places. And they have yeah, like, like a six. Or... Yeah, we supply coffee to their six locations mm -hmm. in the D.C. area. And like I said, all that sort of came about just organically yeah once we open a new place we'll be a little more aggressive i'm not i'm not a big hard sell person you know basically we'll go into a place and say try it let's talk if you like it we'd love to talk to you and we'll see what we can do yeah I mean, it's nice the product gets to sell itself right the product being coffee right community exactly so. i'm excited about it because i'm working with uh this guy named bruce white he has a company perfect brew services he does all of our equipment stuff He's one of the most innovative coffee people I've ever met. He builds stuff. He loves to build things, like cool hand pour-over, automatic pour-over machines, things like that. So he's bringing a lot of the equipment in that we're going to do there. And we're going to try some different things, you know, maybe not right off the bat, but he's always talking about, you know, we got to do this. We got to put yeah. a, you know, I built this machine that does this. It gives the opportunity to just, again, do things that are fun, yeah. you know, and have some fun with it and explore it a little bit. Cafe Amori. Why is it called Cafe Amori? <laughs> That's a very funny question. And it's funny because I spent like nine months coming up with a name. Mm -hmm. I had lists. I was working at Discovery at the time. I went to all these people I was working with, with these lists, vote on the name, vote on the name, vote on the name. And, you know, was agonizing over it. And then finally, one day I thought of my parents. And I thought, how cool would it be for them to be able to drive down the street and see their name? That's my last name, Amori. 
to see their name on the place. Cafe has two Fs because that means coffee in Italian. And after nine months of looking at all these creative, some, some not so creative, some pretty decent, some really, really shitty names, I just really decided to do it for that reason. And it was funny because I couldn't find out which way the accent. Like a good or advanced. Exactly. I actually called the Italian embassy and asked them. I asked for the information officer. And he was like, what? (laughs) Um, Because I kept seeing it different ways. And I finally saw that it's actually pronounced. And I tried to get my staff for the first year. it's, it's, It's coffee. Coffee is how it's supposed to be pronounced. But nobody ever like the hard really, K, a hard K and E as opposed to cafe, coffee. as opposed to a soft E. Yeah, if it's cafe, that's more of a cafe where you serve food. Coffee, it means coffee in Italian, huh. but it's cafe more. Okay, and and it was I cool that because didn't well when Starbucks no, no. Really started blowing up, right? And my dad, who lived very close to here, passed away two and a half years ago at ninety four, but every day he would drive down here at 94, come in, get a cup of coffee, go out front, sit out front with a cigarette and talk to people. That's great. And to me, it was like, if nothing else, I had that, Mm -hmm. you know, and he saw his name on the place and he saw people coming in and out and he saw people loving it. And that meant everything to me. Not only his name, his son's name. Right. Right. So. That had to mean a lot for both of you. Yeah. And now my daughter works for me. She's our lead roaster. She's also a Q grader. Here's a child. Like, I never pushed the family business on her. And in fact, I made certain not to. You know, she has her life to live. She, undergraduate degree in religion and philosophy, two years with Habitat for Humanity, then got her Master's of Divinity at Union Seminary in New York, and then came one day and said, you know, Dad, I think I want to get in the business. So now she's been with me for four years, and... Her last name's Maury, and so it, it's all going to be hers, man. One day I'll be sitting on a beach someplace, maybe, I don't know, maybe Italian coast or something. That sounds good. Yeah, done it, though? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. We'll do a podcast there, too. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Okay. So did your dad pay for the coffee every morning? No, he would come in. He would come <laughs> in in the afternoons, and what was really cool is like the staff got to know him. They yeah. knew exactly what he got, and they would be like, hey, Mr. Maury, how you doing? And it would just made me feel good. That's really neat, though. Yeah. There's so many levels of the community that you've built and been a part of. Yeah. It's just great to hear. Yeah, thanks. I think we started talking about this earlier, but you've been in coffee for seven years. You grew up in D.C.? Yes. How has coffee changed in the last seven years within the D.C. DMV community? Incredible. Incredible. I mean, the not explosion, but just the understanding of coffee. When I opened... There weren't that many roasters around. I can think of maybe one or two. You know, people were, Starbucks was the place. You know, it seems like they're popping up all over the place. And I think it's great. I think it's great. My only hope is that as people come in, they're coming in realizing that there's so much to learn, you know, and come and do it right. Mm -hmm. If you're going to do it, because the market wants it. I've seen that. Um, I've, watched my customers get educated you're talking about for cafes if they want to come into the market right 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 because and a lot of them have come in Mm -hmm. and a lot of them are doing it well not all of them are doing it well to tell you the truth and i think that that'll all work itself out in the final analysis but i think the fact that there's a greater understanding in the dc area of good quality coffee 
of the coffee and of the people involved in the coffee. And that's a really good thing. And I say the people involved in the coffee, I think more and more people are understanding about the farmers, you know, and the people in the supply chain. I had a chance a couple of years ago, I went to Costa Rica and got to meet the farmers. I had dinner at one very cool story. We went to a farmer's house for dinner. And so his wife and daughters were in the kitchen and they were cooking. The kitchen was all part of this one big room. And it was just this big, beautiful atmosphere. And the dad of the family, I likened him to, he was like a Costa Rican leprechaun because he was a really short guy and he had this fedora on. And he went into his closet and he pulled down what was probably his best bottle of scotch. And he came around and I don't speak Spanish and a lot of people that were with us didn't and he didn't speak English. So he gave us all cups and I made the motion of, you know, just a little bit. And he pours in a cup. And every time you'd put your cup down, he would sneak behind you and fill it up from behind you. And it was like, at the end, everybody's singing together and all. But, you know, I came back from that and it was like, I've broken bread with these people. You see the face behind this bag of coffee beans. And the realization was, you know, we're the last stop in that chain. And that's something that we really train into our, our staff is that, we can either honor it or we can totally screw it up. And that's a huge responsibility. That's what I think the market is embracing in the DC area. And I see more and more coffee shops that are really, truly honoring that. And that's a really good thing, yeah. I think. And I see, like I said, in the DC area, I see shops that are coming in that are serious about that part of it. And if they're serious about that part, then they're serious about presenting a good product and all that as well. That's how I've seen the market change, Yeah, you know, with a better understanding of, what it is we're serving, how we're serving it, and why we're serving it. And it goes hand in hand with customers and cafe goers. Sure. Understanding it too, which is yes. the whole part of it, right? I mean, Absolutely. To not only get a great cup of coffee, but to understand they're at the end of a supply chain of hundreds of people. Right. I mean, you figure one tree yields a pound of coffee. One tree. And it takes five years from a seed before that tree bears fruit, before it, they can pick coffee from it. That's people's lives. Yeah. You know, somebody's kid was born and they'll be five years old before they'll pick beans from that tree. Yeah. You know, so that's to me pretty strong. Oh, very strong. Yeah. We're part of a big network. Yeah. Larger than just Absolutely. DC. So at the end, I usually like to ask, you know, what can the DC DMV Vienna Coffee community do for you? Kind of a big change of. Yeah, it is a change. Um, do for me. Not for you personally, like the cafe. Or yeah. maybe for you. Come, come out and visit. Yeah. You know, come out and visit. I would love nothing more than to make you a traditional cappuccino or a hand pour of one of our adventure coffees and just sit and chat. You know, and I think it's more important of what we can do things for each other. It's a big market, you know, and I don't care how many shops come in. There's a lot of room for everybody to do just fine. Let's push each other. You also said, come out and we'll talk. We'll sit down and have Absolutely. Coffee. Is there a secret password that people should be saying? It's been saying like, Michael, you told me on Drip, a DC Coffee podcast, I can sit down and talk with you. Shoot me an email, cafemori at Gmail. Cafe has two Fs. Two Fs. A-M-O-U-R-I mm-hmm. at Gmail. And just say, hey, I heard about you on the podcast. I'm doing this. Would love to meet you and chat. Yeah. And I recommend doing that. Come It'll on out. Fun. Absolutely. And that's a wrap, folks. Keep up to date with Cafe Amori on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or visit their website at cafeamori.com. That's cafe with two Fs. 
Thank you to everyone who contacted me about episode ideas. I'm going to work to incorporate them in future episodes. Feel free to send me more by filling out the contact form on dcdrippodcast.com. If you like what you're hearing, follow Drip, a DC coffee podcast, on Instagram and Twitter. If you're going to be at Baltimore Coffee Fest on March 16th through the 17th, DM me and let's grab a coffee. A quick thanks to Mike Crockett, the engineer, the Broke Royals for music, Rebecca Silverstein for graphic and web design, and Wesley Stukenbroker for creative support. Thanks for listening and keep brewing community. Community.